Last week I preached on the need for members of the local church to be willing to serve on what I called ad hoc one and per, two person juries to try, try cases against fellow members, church members. And if that sounds provocative, it's, it is. It's a provocative concept, right? So I encourage you to go back and, and read or listen to that sermon because it's, it's based on the teachings of St. Paul and of Jesus Christ himself. The whole idea of church as a judiciary body, a, ju- uh, a disciplinary body, if you will. But there is a limit to church discipline. And Paul gives an example of the limit to, uh, that can, needs to be placed on church discipline. Some cases will exceed the capacity, the competence of the church to try. And he gives an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 through, 3 through 5, where he's talking about a particularly grievous sexual sin, which he says, quote, is a type of fornication, as, is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Now, we can tell from the uh, reliefs that we see in the ruins of Pompeii that the Gentiles were into quite a lot of things. So for something, for this to be so bad that they couldn't even and fathom it, it must have been wicked. And so for it to show up in the Christian church was doubly so. And so here is an example of Paul talking about a case, a limit to just how far church justice can go. Paul says in such a case like this that is so grievous, you need to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And so what this means is that there are some offenses in the church that cannot be remedied by church justice, that cannot be remedied by by, uh, simple acts of forgiveness or restoration, and and that really do require handing the offender over to the civil authority or for punishment. And keep in mind here that the word Satan, yes, it does conjure up images of a scaly beast with horns and all of that, but it literally just means the adversary or the accuser. So what Paul is saying in this case is hand him over to the district attorney, hand him over to the prosecutor for for prosecution. And this would be on top of the excommunication that you've already handed down. So I think this is a good frame for interpreting today's readings from Genesis and Matthew, because the question in Peter's mind, as it was probably, as it might have been in the mind of Joseph as well, uh, Joseph's brothers, I should say, is, 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 am I being too lenient here? Uh, is, is, is this a case where, we are, where I really need to be stricter, or in the cases, uh, case of the brothers, where we really deserve the punishment? A, a simple way to say it is, are there cases, is this a case where I need to call the police, right? Peter might be thinking that. Um, in, the, in the case of Joseph, the second in command to Pharaoh here, there really wasn't any remaining threat from his brothers. This is, you know, there's nothing he, they can do to him at this point, uh, even if they aren't sincere in their apologies. Peter, I think, had a different burden placed on him. He's, he's the captain of Jesus' small band. It's still small at this time, a uh, band of disciples. That, and, and, and one of them is, is ready to, at the ready to betray Jesus. And perhaps Peter already had a hunch about Judas, right? And so in, in, in Peter's mind, the question of how often should I forgive a brother is a real question. It's an urgent question. I don't want to be too lenient. I don't want to add on to the abuse when I... I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to be derelict here when I really should get somebody else involved. So, Paul, so Peter asks Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus responds with a multiple of 11. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, if you were listening closely, that's not what it said in today's, in the reading. That's because the translations are different. Um, there's sometimes, some of them say seven times 70. I decided to go with the 77 times, the multiple of 11, because I liked the math game that I could play with it. Seven times for each of the 12 apostles, minus the one who would betray Jesus. So seven times 11 equals 77. And seven is one of those biblical numbers that we have that signifies completeness and perfection. 
So what I, what I like to think Jesus is saying here is, forgive those who are worthy of forgiveness until they are perfect, right? But deal severely with the one who is not worthy of forgiveness. And so then he goes on and Jesus goes on and tells a parable about the unworthy servant, the master who revokes the forgiveness of the unworthy servant and in anger delivers this unworthy servant to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So how do we know? How do we know who is not worthy of forgiveness? Because that's really, I think, what Peter's getting at here. And Jesus answers with the parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant. This, this servant, having begged on his knees, had his debts forgiven, but he did not go and do likewise. He did not forgive those who likewise owed him debts. Mercy was offered to him, but he did not offer mercy in kind to others. For Peter, this proves to be, I think, very practical advice. As the overseer of the apostles, he is to pay close attention to how the brothers treat one another. When they assemble in their ad hoc juries and confront a fellow believer when he is doing something wrong, do they, how do they treat that believer? Do they treat him with the kindness and the mercy and the forgiveness that they've been treated with? Or do they burden him with more guilt and shame? Do they help to relieve him of his sin by encouraging him and assuring him that he can do better and that he is still loved by God? Or do they bring down harsh judgment upon him. Joseph could have been, I think, this unforgiving servant, confronted once again by his brothers who are still clearly burdened with guilt and fear because they had conspired to murder him, right? Remember, they conspired to murder him. They threw him in a pit. They left him for dead. He was picked up by Midianite traders and sold into slavery, right? It's a great story. But the brothers did that to him. Joseph could have punished them especially now that his father, Jacob, was dead. Joseph wouldn't have had to answer to Pharaoh if he put his brothers to death, and his father wouldn't have had to answer to his father either. What does Joseph do? He, instead of bringing down law and judgment on his brothers, he preaches the gospel to his brothers. You might think the gospel, you might think that's one of those church words, those New Testament words, a Christian word, right? But the whole Bible is gospel. The whole Bible is the story of God's good news, which Joseph sums up beautifully when he says to his forgiven brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So the whole Bible is gospel, but the whole Bible is also law, right, which is used to convict us, because even in these phrases here, which are so full of grace and gospel, we can see ourselves convicted by them, because how many times have we meant evil to another? How many times have we failed to forgive? So these stories, which are at one and the same time good news, also are a law and a judgment which convicts us. But that's good, because God, when we are convicted, takes that sense of conviction and uses it for good, because the story is, the gospel is, the moment we have done something we shouldn't, if we turn to God and ask for forgiveness, we see that it it has already been accomplished, that he has already forgiven us and paid the debt through his son. Now, for our parts, we need to understand how deeply wrong our wrongdoing is, And that's how we apply this text to our lives, right? So the the unforgiving servant failed to understand how how deep in debt he was. 
uh, debt here being a metaphor for, for wickedness. He failed to understand how wicked he was. Jesus tells us that this unforgiving servant owed his master 10,000 talents. Now, one talent was 20 years wages for a day laborer. So this man was forgiven the debt of 10,000 lifetimes, assuming 20 productive years in those days of shorter lifespans and harder labor. So you would, you would think that that would be enough for him to realize just how much he had been forgiven. You might also wonder how much or what he was doing to get into so much debt, but he didn't think that way. You know, psychologists call this, this willful suspension uh, rationalization, uh, this, this changing, the dumbing down of, of our actions and our thoughts to say they're something that they're not. We call that rationalization. St. Paul simply just says we're suppressing the truth. Proclaiming the truth is one of the primary tasks of the church. And if you go into an old colonial era church behind the communion table, you would often see, you still will to this day, a reproduction of the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments. And so that was one of the ways that the church would keep the, the truth in full view. Go back and read them and see how many of them you've, you've broken. You know, even just one word of using the Lord's name in vain. It seems like a small thing, but, but we, we, that is a violation of the commandment, right? And, and it's blasphemy. So another way that the, that the church keeps uh, the truth in front of us is through the weekly ritual of confession, which we've just done. Each, each Sunday, we begin our worship confessing things done and left undone. And then the priest absolves us of our sins. And in so doing, he's proclaiming the truth that there will be no limit there will be no limit to forgiveness, provided we have a sense of how deep that forgiveness reaches into us. Forgiveness will reach its limit only when our wickedness runs out. In fact, that's the only way to defeat evil by exhausting it. And that's what I think Jesus is getting at here when he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, exhaust the wickedness in you by forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. The only way to set a limit on wickedness is to not set a limit on forgiveness. So the key to understanding who is worthy and who is not worthy of forgiveness in these passages, this lesson today, is, from, uh, is by looking at the word brothers. It's used a lot. It's Joseph's brothers who beg for forgiveness. It's the brother who sins that Jesus tells Peter he must forgive 77 times. The first example, Joseph's example, is, is of a blood relationship, a familial relationship, Joseph's father's sons. The second example is also of a blood relationship, a relationship to God the Father made possible by Christ's sacrificial blood shed for each of us on the cross. That's, what, that's the real test here of, of, of who we should be forgiving, who is worthy of being forgiving, who's, who's the brother, right? Who's the sister, the one for whom Jesus died? And this type of deep forgiveness is only extended to those who are made worthy of it, not those of us who, who we don't try to work ourselves into this worthiness, we're made worthy of it. That worthiness is imputed to us the moment we ask we asked Jesus Christ for forgiveness and put our trust in him. When we do that, the sins of 10,000 lifetimes are forgiven, and this, this is not blanket forgiveness for the whole world, though. It, this is not a perversion of justice. There is still justice. Um, but this forgiveness, this blanket forgiveness, it is offered to the whole world. It's extended, however, only to those who can call Christ brother. When Israel left Egypt, they did not forgive 
the Egyptians 400 years worth of stolen labor. They plundered Egypt and exacted payment. And, is, and Egypt didn't deserve to be forgiven. That's what Egypt deserved. And next, least, next week's lesson, though, will turn this whole idea of merit on its head when we see the city of Nineveh forgiven. The point of this week's lesson, and last, is that the church judges and is judged by a different standard. The church, we, you and I, are judged by how we treat a brother or sister in Christ and whether or not we forgive him or her as our Father has forgiven us. Amen.